good beer. You guys can take a seat. I have to tell you, my sister moved to Becker a couple years ago, and my first reaction was like, why are you moving all the way out there? And now I visit her all the time. I get adjusted by Dr. Brandon, and I'm going to events like this, and now I kind of want to move here too. So um, it's good to be here. Again, my name is Heidi Anderson. Um, I'm a writer, speaker, mainly a stay-at-home mom. And so what that looks like is most days I am wiping butts and picking up Cheerios all over the floor while also being on Instagram. So my handle is called This Mother Hen. And what I found is where are people a lot of nights after their kids go to bed or um, as they're just vegging out, even while they're watching TV, they're, they're scrolling on Instagram. And so if I can share the word of God... If I can share the word of God, if I can share a devotional or some way where it, it is relevant to their life, then they, maybe they'll stop the scroll and they'll, they'll have an interaction with God. And so um, that's what I do, this mother hen. Um, and so I'm going to share a bit of my story tonight because I hope that when I share my testimony, you, you find yourself in there somewhere along the way. Um, and say, me too. I think, I think the Lord is moving already in this place, and I can't wait um, to share a little bit more too. So I'm going to start. If you're anything like me, my husband always asks me, do you want the good news first or the bad news? And I always say the bad news because I want to get it over with, and I want to get it done, and I want to get right to the good. And so that's what I'm going to do with my story. I'm going to start with some really bad news, but I'm going to end with some really, really, really good news at the end. So I'm going to rewind a few years ago. And it, I mean, I probably should say now a decade ago, it's crazy. I think 23. I know I look very young. You're very surprised. A decade, 23. But I felt a lump on my neck. And I remember telling my mom, what, what is that? And she said, you know, sometimes people get enlarged lymph nodes when you have a cold, things like that. So just watch it. And I did. It was around Thanksgiving. But then around Christmas, I felt another lump in another spot on my neck. So I scheduled a doctor appointment. Um, and in the new year, I will always remember sitting on that crinkly white paper and staring at the doctor who said, um, you have Hodgkin's lymphoma. And I looked at my mom and I said, what even is that? Because we have no history of family disease, no history of cancer. I mean, we are a very healthy family. So I had no idea what even lymphoma was at 23. And so um, they said, you know, that's cancer in your lymph nodes in your neck. And so um, after that, I remember whisk, being whisked away to the scheduling assistant to call the oncology center and get stuff set up. And the next available appointment wasn't for another three weeks. So there I sat in those three weeks, not sure what the future held, how far along I was, what treatment would look like. And I walked out of that appointment needing a savior. Have you ever felt like that? I knew Jesus as my Lord and Savior, but I'm talking about when you face a situation so out of your control and there is nothing you can do to fix it and you know you need a help beyond yourself. You need a Savior bigger than yourself. And I just want to stop here and say, Waiting is the absolute worst, right? Not just when it comes to hearing the diagnosis, waiting to hear what treatment will be like, waiting to hear your chances even of making it. I just mean all of your life. Waiting for your house to sell, waiting for your spouse to land a job after he lost it, waiting for that positive pregnancy test after you miscarried from the last. The enemy can really pick apart your mind in this spot, filling you with fear as all the terrible what-if scenarios go through your mind with his intention to make you feel completely helpless 
and absolutely hopeless. But if you are waiting today for something and it's getting really hard and you are feeling scared and hopeless, I hope you do know the truth, that we do have a Savior, which means we are not without hope and we are certainly not without help. But the Holy Spirit is the helper. Jesus is the hope of the world and they are on our side. We can never forget that. So back to my story. Three weeks later, I sat with my oncologist, and he told me I had stage two cancer, and I would need to go through about six months of chemotherapy and then six weeks of radiation. And then he walked me through all the possible scenarios that could result, like loss of muscle movement in my neck or that chemotherapy would attack my ovaries. And oh, by the way, you probably won't be able to have kids. And then went on to the symptoms that could develop later in the future, like breast cancer is a common second cancer and can come in my early 30s, he said, which being 33, now that's a little too close to home. And by the age of 40, one of the chemotherapy drugs that I had could result in a cardiac arrest or heart failure, you know, no big deal. And I tell you all of this because dealing with cancer, dealing with our trial in the moment is really scary and it stinks. But then the enemy wants us to battle fear for the rest of our lives. Because no matter how many years you're in remission from that one cancer, no matter how many years it's been since that one thing happened, there is a whole lesion of other things knocking at the door down the road. And no matter how many years you are past a certain trauma or heartache, there's a whole slew of opportunities that could happen again. I mean, you fill in the blank. But I think this is the reason God tells us 365 times in the Bible, do not fear. Because every day he wants us to hear him say, do not fear, but to trust in him as our savior. So now this, thankfully, is where the bad news ends. Phew, right? We're glad it's over and done with. Um, But I have three obvious jaw-dropping miracles that followed after this that can only be attributed to the hand of God that only he could orchestrate himself. So here's the first one. In this time, my pastor had given me a message, had given a message to our church about suffering well, how men and women all throughout the Bible had scary things happen to them. Daniel was thrown into a den full of hungry lions. Paul was beaten and thrown into prison. But Daniel didn't focus on the roaring of the lions, and Paul didn't stare helplessly at the bricks around his prison cell. They chose to believe that their reality was more than what meets the eye, and they believed God would take care of them no matter what. And I heard that message and thought, that's what I want. I want to suffer well. If God has called me to it, he will get me through it. And then soon after that, lo and behold, God always gives an opportunity to, if you're willing, my campus pastor asked if I could share my story during communion. So I did. My hair was starting to fall out. I had just gone through my first treatment. So I had no idea what ahead, what was ahead or how well I was doing. But I stood on that platform and I told the gospel for all four services that quite simply, Jesus tells me not to fear because he has already overcome. And anyone can have this peace if they want Jesus as their Lord and Savior too. And I believe God honored that because guess who was sitting in that service that day? A very handsome man named Tyler Anderson, which if you remember, my last name knows, Anderson, spoiler. But he just so happened to be visiting my church that weekend. He went to another church 40 minutes up north. Um, But that weekend, his friend said, hey, it's Saturday night before we go out to dinner. Do you just want to come with me to church? And so they all did that, and he heard my story. And then after that service, they all went out to eat, and all around the table, all those guys shook their heads and said, that poor girl, such a sad story. 
And Tyler looked around and thought, if this is how everyone's responding to her without hope, then I need to message her. So he sent me a message. It was very simple on Facebook. Hey, my name's Tyler. Just want you to know I heard your mess. I heard your story. God wants, wants you well, and I'm praying for you. And this is what I love. God could have sent my husband at any other time in my life, but he chose the short six-month stint when I desperately needed hope for a future. That alone has me convinced that he is the best gift giver, gift giver, and he's certainly not done after that. Um, now, here's where my miracle too comes in. I started chemotherapy. And because I worked at a church at the time with thousands, I kept getting mauled every weekend with how are, how are things going and my emotions were already all over the place. So I started a blog called Dear Mr. Hodgkins. I wasn't online at the time. I wasn't blogging or anything. Um, and I would write about every doctor appointment, but it wasn't like a carrying bridge. It was more of a letter. Dear Mr. Hodgkins, this is what you're doing to me. My hair fell. This is what you did. And in the end, I would always wrap it up with a Bible story or God's truth and declare his promises over me. And what I found is that people started sharing, not just like a handful here, a handful there, but hundreds and thousands of people were sharing these posts and they started sharing them with friends and coworkers who didn't know Christ. These people were not open to talking about religion in any other way, but when they shared my story, these people read and they listened and they asked questions about who Christ was. And I, I learned of people who came to Christ after these conversations. And then I started hearing about people all around the United States sharing my blog, and it kept circulating. Small groups were sharing during prayer requests. An elderly lady printed it out and shared it at the nursing home, and it reached my, fr my parents' friends in Ireland and Africa. And this is where I learned the power of prayer because I had not known this before as a Christian. This is when I also fell madly in love with the church. God's gift to us is one another. I will always be so grateful that he gave us one another. In this world, we aren't alone. Not only is Jesus with us until the end, but we have one another. Um, and that when people, when his people intentionally bring someone, when his people intentionally love someone to bring them before the throne of God, that things happen. He is in the midst of all of that. And so the doctor kept taking tests to track my progress at every appointment. And he soon found out that my body was responding well, but not just like a healthy well. I was on track making progress as they projected, but like plans needed to change well. So he cut my treatments in half. And if you know the damage that chemotherapy does from going from six rounds to three is huge. And I was able to dive into radiation that much sooner, get done with treatment that much sooner. That was undeniably Christ. That was, that is only through the power of prayer. And I always pause here because I do understand that this isn't everybody's story. I'm not saying if you have faith and you pray, you will be healed. Your child will be healthy and you'll make plenty of money and everything will go your way. Although it very well might, I will not put God in a box. And these are good gifts that he gives. He's the giver of every good and perfect gift. But what I am saying is that sometimes I think we as Christians forget about the power of prayer and we give up far before the battle is even over. We hear about a friend who was diagnosed with a terrible illness, a marriage on the rocks, a friend struggling with infertility, and sometimes just think, that is so sad. I am so sorry. I guess all we can do is pray. And I just picture God like, 
I'm sorry, I'm your last resort. I guess all we can do is pray, call upon the name of the Lord Almighty, bumper, wish we there was more we could do. But the truth is we have the very spirit of God who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, living in us, working on our behalf and still more powerful than anything we could ever face. So why would we even think to give up the fight before the battle has even finished? Leave the hopelessness to the friends who don't know Christ and can only offer good thoughts and good vibes. But for us as Christ followers, we are called to so much more. We are called to breathe life and hope into lifeless and hopeless situations. We are called to shine his light, deliver the good news, and call on the power of God while in the battle. We're called to speak his word and watch as dry bones come alive. Now, trust me when I say I was in the battle. I'm sharing a highlight reel of this journey, but it wasn't all good, and God's hand wasn't always evident. I remember one night, the chemo drugs the chemo drugs had an adverse effect on my body to the point where it felt like my tongue was on fire. And at 2 a.m., I was screaming into a pillow. I was just bawling in tears. And as soon as the oncology center opened at 8 a.m., I marched right in, and they gave me medication that changed how things were going. But I had moments, I had plenty of moments like that when I touched the port on my chest and barely feel human more like a robot than anything else and just cry. Or when my hair started to fall out in clumps and I had to shave my head for a 23-year-old single girl still looking for her person, that is not fun. And when the doctor told me I may very well not be able to have kids, might as well prepare for that possibility, and I'd cry for the future children I knew I was supposed to have, but I once heard my pastor put it this way. We don't always know how God will move, but we do know what happens when we don't believe. Scripture is very clear what happens when his people didn't take hold of faith. They didn't enter the promised land and no miracles could be performed even though Jesus was willing. So when we give up, we know the battle's been lost, but we were the ones that forfeited that battle. But when we hope, when we pray for our friend to be healed, that marriage to be saved, that friend to get pregnant, and we actually believe it will happen, we actually believe that God's hand might move, we might see people's faith getting restored and miracles happen, well, I believe we will. I believe we will see that more and more. So why not hope? As easy as it is to let our fear or past disappointments get in the way, that is only what the enemy wants for us. That is never what God wants for us. God, on the other hand, shows us a different way in his word. In the Psalms, it says, as for me, I will always have hope. Not just I'll have hope when it's good, not just I'll have hope after the answered prayer, but as for me, I will always have hope. Which leads me to my third miracle, my last miracle and blessing are my kids. The doctor told me I probably wouldn't be able to have kids. I was advised to store my eggs at a fertility clinic just to be prepared for a long road of infertility. It was probable and likely my oncologist oncologist explained how chemotherapy works, that they don't necessarily control it. Yes, it attacks cancer cells, but it shows no favoritism. Beyond just cancer cells, it can and does attack every living organism, my ovaries included. But Tyler, my husband and I stand here today with Oscar, our seven-year-old, Mabel, our five-year-old, Hazel, our three-year-old, and another one on the way in January. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
Yes, glory to God. And he reminds me that he alone holds the final word over our lives. Not our doctor, not our parents, not your ex-husband or micromanaging boss, but the Lord Almighty who holds all of our times in our hands, like it says in the Psalms. He alone holds the final word. So in conclusion, in it all, here's what I learned and what I've come to believe deep down in the marrow of my bones, that God takes very hard and broken things and he makes miracles out of them. He takes very trying and scary circumstances and he works them for our favor. He will always do that. He will redeem every last thing. And whatever our enemy tries to use against us, he will use for his glory and our good all the time. If it hasn't happened yet, it is coming. And he always wins. He always arms us with victory. And he tells us, dear child, hold on to hope. I will come through. In the Psalms, David always wrote and told himself to remember the deeds of the Lord. It was his way of preaching to himself. Spirit, why so downcast within me? Put your hope in the Lord. Remember the deeds. This is because David knew there would be times when God's voice would feel silent and his hand would feel invisible, but he's not kicking back, watching us drown in our sorrows and shrugging his shoulders like, good luck down there. No, he is actively moving. He's actively loving us and he's actively walking beside us, has gone before us and hems us in on every side. So we must remember the deeds because how can a God who has saved us from the pit, healed us of the deadly disease, and granted our heart's desire, abandon us now. He will never, for he can never forsake his own. So whatever you're fighting against today, whatever you're struggling against to keep the faith, and whatever is chiseling away at your spirit and threatening your hope, remember the deeds of the Lord. Look back on your life and in the Bible. Cling to those moments when he's moved on your behalf and on the behalf of his people. And don't waver in the belief that he will move again. Because that's our reality. That's our truth. Not our struggle, not the things we can see with our eyes, but the unseen, the pieces God is moving into a place that we can't see and the God who is ever powerful and ever loving that we can't see, but is indeed working and loving us today. So I hope you know this truth because Jesus said himself, it is when we know the truth that it sets us free. Thanks for hearing my story. 